Hello, and uh, welcome to another episode of Jackson Talks. Everybody, um, with me, your host, Jackson Stone, and I am uh, very excited uh, for my guest today. It's, uh, besides my mom and dad, she'll be the first family member that I've had on my podcast. So uh, I can tell you all right now that she definitely will not be calling me Jackson, because <laughs> uh, that would be super weird for her. Uh, so you'll probably get a lot of errands mixed in with today's episode. Um, but I'm pumped to, uh, to have uh, Dr. Grace Hasid on the show today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Aaron. I'm so thrilled to be here with you. Um, before we get into kind of the meat and bones of, of what we're going to talk about today, uh, I first think we should tell everyone how we're related. Um, and, then, and then I have a specific question that I, I say to start all these episodes, so then I'll ask you that. But if you want to take that away, um, sure. we do that. So Aaron's dad and my husband are first cousins. And so, um, and Ben, Aaron used to live in the Bay Area where I am located. And we, um, I therefore had the honor and privilege of watching Aaron grow up, basically, and become heartbroken when his family decided to move to Texas. But um, we still have been able to see each other at various family events. And I love him, his parents, his whole family with my heart and soul. Yes, perfect. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm just really excited to talk to you. Um, I, um, the one thing that I always remember about you is that anytime I talk to you or know I'm going to see you, uh, I feel like you have them like a, just an infectious personality. And, um, you, yeah, I think you, I think it's a funny, I guess I would use that word, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but you, you, you always had like a way of, of bringing some light into every room that you stepped into. And I always appreciated that about you. Um, and I think now more than ever I do, because it's been a while since I've seen you. Um, and so I'm now going to ask you this very important question that I used to start every episode. Um, it's a, it's a question that we usually answer, um, just with one word. It's, it's kind of used as a way to say hello in, in normal settings when we're all living our busy lives. Um, but I think if we can answer this question a little bit more openly and honestly, then we can have a little bit more kindness for people and what they may be going through. Um, and so I ask you. Um, how are you doing? Like for real, for real. I am holding up. Thank you for asking, Aaron. It's, um, it's been an incredibly rough year. Uh, <clears throat> I am, I laughed when you said I have an infectious personality since I am an infectious disease doctor and, um, have been kind of, um, and have subspecialized in infection control which is the, um, the physical way of containing any infectious disease. So um, I have been really, I have been uh, in the deepest, thickest part of this pandemic for an entire year. So it's been, uh, <clears throat> I'm holding up. Uh, thank you for asking. Yeah. Yeah, so you stated it a little bit briefly there, but for context, um, for about what we're about to get into, um, you're in the Bay Area, you said that, so that's like San Francisco area for people who don't know what that is. Um, and what's your, ex what's your exact job title, so people know? Um, 
So I am uh, the infectious, uh, sorry, <laughs> I am an infectious disease doctor, but I trained at UCSF or did my infectious disease fellowship there after medical school and intern, internal medicine uh, residency. Uh, but I um, am the infection control officer for the county of San Mateo, which um, means that I, I am in charge of infection control for the Med San Mateo Medical Center, a big, uh, a small physical hospital, but with lots of outlying clinics. So, and I'm in charge of the, the hospital and the clinics to keep everyone safe. So my job is to make sure that no staff person gets COVID-19 or any other infectious disease from a patient, that no patient ever gives COVID-19 to a staff member. So um, it's infection that can go either way, right? Whoever has COVID can spread it through the air uh, just by talking, just by breathing, talking, singing, anything we do. So uh, my job is to make sure that everyone in the facility is protected from getting COVID, but also that our patients are protected from getting COVID from us. Mm. So it's a, it's complicated kind of work, uh, but um, we've been very successful so far. So that's my, my job title and what I do. Wow. Like incredible, you know, so amazing. So thank you for what you've been doing the last year and forever, like not just important in the last year, but for a long time. Um, so now I kind of want to take you back to when everything first started. Um, when were you kind of aware that this coronavirus was super serious? Well, I was aware very early. Um, I would say the beginning of February of 2019, I, um, I, you know, my job in what I do is to be, to protect the hospital and staff <clears throat> from any infectious disease coming from anywhere in the world. So, you know, when Ebola happened, I knew about the Ebola outbreak that was going on in Africa before it ever actually came to our shores. And um, so, so too with this virus, I started hearing about it in late January and began listening, reading everything I could get my hands on because I knew immediately that if there is a huge outbreak of a virus in China, for example, with so much back and forth transport of people flying between our continents, uh, I knew it had to come to us at some point. I didn't know when, I hoped it wouldn't, uh, I, you know, I prayed it wouldn't. And, uh, but unfortunately, this virus is a really nasty virus because people have it and 40% of people who have it don't even know they have. It. So they just pass it on. Mm. They get it by taking off their masks. They, they don't know they have the disease. They breathe onto other people after an incubation period of two days to two to 14 days, they, they get it. They are able to transmit it. 
and then uh, they give it to other people. So I knew, I, I didn't know a lot of specific details, but I knew that any flu-like illness is a nightmare for transmission, for stopping transmission. So, and by the time we really heard about it here in the United States, China was already seeing people die incredibly horribly and prolifically. So I knew that it was a really dangerous virus. I knew that it was being spread like flu in the air. And um, I was horribly worried about it, but that was in early January, that was in late January. On February 27th, I will never forget the date, as long as I live, we were notified by the state of California that there was COVID in, in some communities throughout the state because they were testing for it and finding it. So they gave us a big red flag and that was on February 27th. Between February 27th and the 28th, we set up an incident command center where everybody from every department in the hospital, the, 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 the highest level people from every department gets together to put our heads together and figure out what we had to do, you know? So with obviously infection control is the main issue, right? <laughs> so, but I needed to work with every department in the hospital and clinics to put a plan in place, which we did within 24 hours. And in 24 hours, we had already blocked off entrances to the hospital, set up checkpoints for uh, disease, and started the entire and put every, and I put everyone into fit tested N95 masks because I knew that if you know when, when you're in the hospital you are a doctor or a nurse is very close to your face right all the time we're checking your temperature looking in your eyes your ears your nose your throat so anyway but by putting those highest level protection, respiratory protection on every person facing a patient with suspected COVID, we were able to keep everyone safe. But not every hospital did that. They didn't have, we had barely enough, but enough masks to do that. And we immediately also started gathering all the supplies we, we needed, um, more supplies, because that was a huge issue that m many hospitals ran out of supplies, but we did not, so we were very blessed, uh, but it was a wild scene of constant, never-ending uh, work to to get all the policies and procedures in place, to get the equipment we needed, to educate the staff of what they had to do and how they had to wear their masks, et cetera. It was, it was a wild race against time to protect us. You know, it's like going to war and now you're, you gotta outfit your soldiers and get them everything they need and then you'll survive. But if you don't, you don't survive. And then, and then March 12th, basically, is when it got announced to the whole world. Yeah. And yeah. so then what was, yeah. what, 
by then you we were like, you were you already prepared at that point or what was the yeah, thought process there we were well we were in the middle of it i mean again we i think because i you know i mean i'm just lucky with my training um and that you know my particular job is about uh knowing what's going on in the world and um so yeah, by March 12th, and we in California shut down very early because we realized that, you know, more and more patients were coming to the hospital. And, and if you allow people to just continue walking around without a mask, well, you know, as I said, 40% of them, especially the younger ones, won't know they even have the disease. So they don't really care. They just, but they pass it on. And they give it to a mother or a grandmother or an aunt or, or, or a stranger who's has either the, um, the propensity to get really sick or if they're you know, vulnerable enough, they, they die. But the person who's passing it on may not even ever know mm. that they've passed it on. So it's, it's a very sneaky, terrifying and hard to, to believe kind of disease, right? But by March 12th, we were, you know, I was totally, you know, in my element, meaning <laughs> directing policies, procedures, and getting everybody what they needed and, and um, getting pa patient, making patients safe. And so, yeah, and it, but it's never stopped. It has never let down until very recently because of the vaccine have we seen a little bit of a improvement. Yeah, we're going to get to the vaccine, but I want to touch on something that you said. Sure. <clears throat> um, do you think that that's why it's at, at it was hard to kind of get people to want to wear masks and maybe have to stay inside for a little bit to try to stop the spread because they felt like it wasn't affecting them because they yes. weren't they weren't feeling or seeing or yes. actually Yes. understanding the dynamics yes, Aaron. Of it. definitely 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 the case i mean you know as human beings we like to believe what we can see right mm -hmm. and um you know this virus you don't see it and you don't even know it's there and so you know if if again it has and that this is what's so maddening about it and that's so difficult is also if you're, you know, in general, if you're young and healthy, even younger kids, you know, kids and, and early teens and early 20s, you know, even to make, you know, late 20s, 30s, in general, the younger parts of, of our generations do not get severely ill or suffer from this disease. But as I said, they still get it and can pass it on. However, there's a small percentage of them that not only get the disease, but they die from the disease. And it's really, really hard to know who those people are. So it's like Russian roulette. You know, that horrible game of one bullet in the chamber. Right. And we don't know who it is. Now we know certain things. We know if you're very elderly, you're at highest risk to get serious COVID and die. If you have cancer, if you're pregnant, 
if you have, uh, you know, because pregnancy is like an immunocompromise, right? Your, 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 your immune system is all directing itself to your new baby and not to you. So basically in a very broad term, right. But, um, uh, in any case, you know, there are certain groups we know will get COVID and be seriously affected or die from it, but there are random people in every age group, teens, the twenties, the thirties. Then as you go up the ladder, the forties, the fifties, the sixties, a lot of people with predisposing factors will get it and can die. So that's also been a horrible, um, you know, thing for us. It's we, you know, these aren't just nursing home patients who might die of their many diseases anyway, very soon, because they're elderly with many diseases. And that's why they're in a nursing home. But we've had so many mothers, fathers, you know, in their late 40s, early 50s, you know, leaving kids, families behind. It's... It's horrible because we don't, we never face that. The medical community, you know, we've come so far in terms of, you know, getting people cured from cancers if they're found early enough, you know, and we've done really well with heart disease and we've done, you know, those are the two leading causes of death, right? Cardiovascular heart attacks and strokes because, you know, people have high blood pressure and smoke and do stuff <laughs> and just have genes that predict it. But, yeah. but, and cancer, but those are the two, but we've come really far and not letting people die from those illnesses. If you can get them early and change lifestyles and get the right chemotherapy, we have gene testing. Now we, we're, we're so much better. So we're not used to seeing, you know, a 42 year old person and then a 38 year old and then a 52 year old. And then, and then yes, an 88 year old, but the whole gamut, well, we lost a 23-year-old young man to COVID. 23. And guess what? His problem, his own, his, he had one medical problem, obesity. That's it. No diabetes, no nothing, nothing, nothing. And he died. And he got everything we could give him. It didn't matter. This disease... You know, we have limited treatment. That's the other thing. People think, oh, there's great treatment. Don't worry about COVID. I had a PhD member of my, my family ask me that question. What's the big deal about COVID? Grace is great treatment, right? It's like, oh, really? You're going to tell that to the people who have died? No, we don't have great treatment. You don't want this virus. And I will tell you, there's a lot of young people who have gotten COVID, very mild case. Like I said, 40% of people don't know they have it. Well, some percent might have very mild symptoms, a little runny nose, a little sore throat. Oh, they lose their sense of smell for a while. Guess what? Then they have symptoms for months going forward. So, you know, and why or how do we know who those people are? We don't know. Hmm. Can we do anything for them? No, we can't. Not yet. Some people say that people who have, they're called long haulers. But they're not just people who were really sick and in the hospital on a ventilator, none of those people. These are people that have mild illness, but they have symptoms going on for months. So they're called long haulers or post COVID syndrome. And I will say a piece of good news is it seems like many of them are getting better if they can get vaccinated. 
because their immune system is boosted by making the antibodies that, you know, that fight COVID. So that's yeah. a piece of good news, but it's, it's a very random disease. And I think it definitely has limited people's belief and understanding of how serious it can be. Because if you're in that, and, and the greatest amount statistically of people who transmit the virus are between the ages of 20 and 40, okay? And they are the people in general who don't get sick. But that's a, and that's why we need those people vaccinated first. Mm. Not first, I, I'm not gonna say first. I, I do believe that our elderly and the people who are gonna die right now need to be vaccinated first. Absolutely, and then, yeah. but, but then they need to be prioritized because you know, um, we need to stop this pandemic. We need to get our lives back, you know? And, and it it's, can't happen unless everybody gets with the program, understands this is science. This isn't anything else. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I uh, you know, a lot of my life right now, as you know, is, is, is kind of based on the invisible, right? It's based on mental health, right? It's something we can't see. And a lot of that is, is trying to get people to understand that just because it's not happening to you doesn't mean it's not real. Uh, and I think the same thing can be said about, you know, COVID-19, just because right. you haven't seen anyone in your vicinity uh, get a disease or die or have hard symptoms um, that doesn't mean it's not real. And I think that can be said about a lot of stuff that's happened in the last year, um, you know, but I think that's specifically important um, for what you just talked about. Um, and uh, especially for people my age, um, you know, getting vaccinated and, and trying to keep the people in our lives safe. So, yes. yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm sorry, Aaron, that we, um, we have not talked about this topic at all before, have we? Mm -mm. No, so I am, I'm just, I'm so happy and thrilled that your intelligence, your education, you're able to understand these concepts that I haven't taught you, you just have learned. So I, I, I can't tell you what joy that gives me. And I also wanna say, you think I have an infectious personality. All I remember about you is that huge, beautiful smile. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't wait to see you and seeing a person and I can't still can't wait to see in person but at least I'm seeing it now <laughs> yeah I think the, the the smile runs in my family you know my sister had it you know I know. I, I have it so yeah so it's cool it's so wonderful yeah <clears throat> um I was I think I lost my train of thought when you complimented um, yeah, so like, okay, so that's where we're, that's where we at. We started, you started basically fighting this thing in February and now we're more than a year later. Right. Um, I want to know, um, because obviously what you're doing is very overwhelming and stressful and tiresome, but obviously very, very important at the same time. How have you not taken your work home with you or have you taken your work home with you? Have you had the ability to just like at least breathe for five minutes, you know, or enjoy stuff at all still? The answer, the short answer? But we want the long answer. We want the long answer. <laughs> okay, the short answer is no, I haven't. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I really typically have 
12 hour days. So sometimes longer. I mean, uh, there's so much uh, writing on everything that I have to do that I can't, I don't, I can't let up. I haven't, you know, <laughs> I really haven't had any time. And, you know, but in a way, Aaron, I think um, it, it's, it's good and bad because I, um, you know, I'm, I have such long, and I'm working seven days a week. I mean, I'm not working you know, this is no office job. I wish. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, no, nah, I don't wish. I, I, I love everything that I do. I, I know it's important for the world, for my patients, for my, our staff. Um, but without time to reflect, it's, uh, it's protective in some ways, and it's probably harmful in other ways. And I will say that every now and then something or someone, like even at this moment, if you, if I stop to truly reflect, I, it, it is overwhelming, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I, I mean, I, we've seen, you know, again, we haven't lost a huge number of patients. We have a small hospital and we have saved the great majority of them. Thank God. And I will say in our Bay Area, we have among the lowest rates of mortality anywhere from COVID. And um, I don't really understand all the reasons for that, except that we have very, you know, very exceptional training and um, excellent, uh, you know, uh, facilities to, to help. But it is really overwhelming and not having time to reflect, as I said, it protects me in a way uh, to not have to actually think about it. And every now and then, if I do hear someone will send me a note of thanks or whatever, and I just like burst into tears, right? For a little minute, my brain goes to that, to that emotional place. But honestly, I have so much work to do. I can't I honestly can't go there. I have to, I have to stay in the intellectual side of my brain because otherwise I can't do my job. Mm -hmm. And um, the job is too important right now, but it, eventually at some point, uh, if everybody can get vaccinated and this whole thing can get under real control, I will have a lot more time. And I, I, a little bit, I, I, oh, I don't know. I worry about it too. <laughs> I mean, it, it makes total sense. Thing. Yeah, it makes total sense, right? You you feel like, you know, you're in the middle, obviously in the middle of it. And if you take any sort of break or time to pat yourself on the back, which you should, by the way, or you know, give yourself a hug or reflect on the things that you've done over the last year, that it's going to take you away from what's important yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, and I get that totally, right? I'm not in your shoes, so I don't fully understand what you're doing um, or going through. Well, I'm constantly giving advice to people. I have to, you know, people come to me for uh, direction and answers to their most difficult questions that other people can't answer. So I, and, and so I'm the person has to give the answer, the right answer, not any answer, <laughs> the right answer. <laughs> but for me to have that right answer, I am constantly reading, listening, learning, I'm on, you know, calls with the CDC, you know, every week calls with the California Department of Public Health. 
three times a week. Uh, I, I'm doing webinars from the National Institute of Emerging Diseases. And, you know, whoever is creating teaching thing, tools, I'm, I have to listen and learn and participate in order to give all that, inf direct that information down to the people in my world that need the answers. So that's why it's, it's never ending. And it's, uh, you know, it's I, I'm, why I'm, why I'm, I'm work so long. It's I, I do physical and, you know, physical policy and that kind of thing. And I'm going rounds, but I'm constantly teaching. My job is to teach um, and inform and answer questions. So I, I have to keep learning in order to do that. I can't, you know, <laughs> answers don't come out of nowhere. <laughs> they yeah. come from the great work of all the scientists around me. Um, but I like, I have to get in their information, their knowledge and distill it into simpler English so that people understand what, uh, you know, what they need to understand uh, for this virus and all its ramifications. So, yeah. Um, what happens when you, when you leave work and you go home, do you, uh, are you able to relax? <laughs> yeah. You're not able to relax at all or, or try to no. unwind. Yeah. You know, um, for an hour or so, my my husband and I, who's of course your your relative Steve, mm -hmm. uh, yes, yeah. uh, are um, and who is a cardiologist and chief of staff of the hospital, so he's incredibly busy too. And um, but we yeah we watch you know we'll watch uh, oh The Office or Seinfeld reruns or of course Seinfeld yeah. You know, something totally stupid, but funny. Yeah. Um, that's what we do to, before we go to sleep to try to, you know, switch our brains off. And I also play solitaire right before I go to sleep because I find that it's mind numbing. <laughs> it allows me to just put everything to rest so I can sleep because I have to sleep because I have to be able to think. And if you can't sleep, you don't think very clearly or learn very well so yeah but that's what we do we 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 do unwind for at least maybe an hour an hour and a half every night okay um it's interesting that you bring up that point about rest sleep and recovery mm -hmm. um because i work a lot with uh, with athletes and you know the big notion in the in the sports world is that you have to work hard everything is about hard work um but really that's kind of stupid because you know, when you get to a point, like working hard is a prerequisite, like you have to just put in the work, like no matter if like, if you want to do anything special, you have to just put in the work. Yeah. And so 10,000 hours. Yeah. So you, at some point, you kind of have to stop saying that, like, like, what are you doing besides working hard? Like, what are the extra things you're doing? And a big thing is rest and recovery. Um, because you can't really perform at your best or do anything special unless you're fully recovered. You know, you're eating well, you're moving well, you're thinking well. Um, and sleep is like the most important part of that. So um, now the now people are listening to are hearing from an actual doctor instead of from my mouth, uh, which is uh, which is yeah, so true. Actually, and I also have a, I have a Fitbit, uh, which not, not that I'm doing a commercial plug here, but <laughs> plug it. Yeah, uh, it what it what it has is an alarm um, every hour. It remind it tells me how many steps I have missing to reach a goal of 250 steps in an hour. 
So honestly, you know, I'm, but I am stuck. I am at a computer reading, writing, learning, you know, I'm doing webinars. I'm on listening to phone calls, whatever, but I will, if I can, and I don't get, I don't do it every hour, but I will get up and just run in place, you know, quick steps. And just to get my circulation going and get my joints moving. And then I, and then I sit down again and I, you know, I'm so happy there are certain, and then, you know, I'm helping to run our vaccine clinics for our employees, for our patients. And so I'm helping with those two. And um, so on those days, I I get 11 out of 11 hours of my 250 steps because I'm forced to be, I'm doing medical observations. So I take care of if there are any medical, you know, issues that people have with the vaccine. Um, I, I, I'm part of that, that, um, you know, response. So bottom line is physical activity is huge. And also if you want to sleep at night, you need that physical activity, as you say, but you must also rest. Yeah. And, and, you know, the muscles actually, well, you know, they recuperate during, um, during sleep, during, uh, you know, and there are different phases of sleep, right? There's REM and you know, there's light sleep, deep sleep, and REM. Basically, those are the basic three categories. And you need the right percentage of each of those types of sleep uh, to be restored. And sometimes you need more of one, and sometimes you need more of the other. Uh, but your body kind of knows what it needs to do. But you have to give it that time to rest adequately, or you'll never be at your best. That's for sure. Yes, 100%. You know, Um and off what you said about the physical activity, um, people ask me all the time if, if how, how to change their life. And I usually give three, three pieces of advice. I say, start making your bed every morning. Uh, go for a 10-minute walk every single day and learn how to control your breathing. And people are surprised that like, those three aren't like, like groundbreaking, groundbreaking things, right? They're pretty simple things. But if you implement them like every day of your life, you're just going to see some big changes, I think. Absolutely. Uh, you're absolutely right. And I think, but those three things aren't necessarily intuitive and different people have different needs and different backgrounds and upbringings and um, emphasizing those three points is huge. I also think good nutrition. Oh, yeah. Avoiding crappy fast food, even though it's delicious, everybody loves it, it's cheap, it's easy, blah, 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 blah. It's horrible for us, <laughs> for our bodies, our guts, our brains. It's it causes heart disease. You know, it, it's a nightmare. But unfortunately, I mean, and and if you're really economically challenged and you don't know how to cook, it is hard. But honestly, um, I was just saying that actually. I was just saying even for we have you know we our patient population. We I, I work in a hospital that takes care of the poor and underinsured. So, um, you know, we have a lot of people that really have nothing. They, they don't even make minimum wage. They, you know, they work two, three jobs at a time, but they barely get by it because this is one of the most expensive places to live in the world and um, San Francisco Bay Area. And um, so the bottom line is nutrition is a huge problem for people on very limited incomes. But if there's any way you can avoid, you can eat organic food 
And it's not because I'm from California. It's because they have pesticides up the wazoo and stuff that isn't organic. And pesticides are a cause of cancer. So if you, you know, if you want to have cancer, keep eating those pesticide laden foods. <laughs> Honestly, it's, it's a nightmare. I mean, that cancer is our number two killer, you know, well, COVID outpaced it, but um, you know, uh, in any case, looking at the long run, the long game of living a healthy life, uh, good nutrition is crucial. Eating fruits and vegetables, not just, you know, a ton of red meat, even though it's maybe delicious, it's really not great for you. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's, I, uh, I probably eat too much meat, but I, I've been trying to uh, learn a bit more about like gut health because I didn't realize, I didn't realize how, how important it is and how much it, and how much it controls. And it's really, it's really quite incredible. Um, and so how much we know about it is so incredible. <laughs> yes, like, absolutely. I listened to a couple podcasts about it and I'm like, holy shit, wow. you know, like, this is some incredible stuff, you know, and yeah. how our guts are so dysregulated and, uh, you know, yeah. all these things that are happening. It's, it's pretty cool. So, yeah. you know, I recommend anyone kind of looking up that it's, it's pretty informative yeah. stuff. It's called the microbiome. Yeah, that's the, that's the, doc, that's the doctor word for it. Trillions of, of bugs, you know, germs, basically, that live in our, in our guts that, uh, that keep us going, that are essential for us, but affect things in more ways that we are just really beginning to learn and understand. And um, it's fascinating, but we're, we're really at the, you know, the baby, kind of like going to Mars, we're at, you know, we're at the very beginning of getting there, of information and knowledge, so... But it's really, it is fascinating. But I, I can tell you that fast food is the worst thing for that, that whole thing. So try to eat them, you know, good food. Yeah, yeah, natural, natural food, you know. Yes, um, it's not processed. Yeah, um, so let's, let's bring it back a little bit to, uh, to COVID and the pandemic. But I want to specifically ask you about um, the emotional toll that not only is taken on you, we touched on it a little bit, but the people around you, the people working around the clock, you know, all the kind of doctors and frontline workers and nurses around the country, like, um, from your experience, you know, what's, what's that like? Well, um, it's been a nightmare in a word. Um, I will say that, uh, it's gotten better. And the reason is, well, I, I can only speak for my hospital and what I've read about other hospitals, but uh, it's all about protective measures, right? To protect yourself from getting the virus. But, and in the beginning, I mean, I never, I never had panic or huge fear per se in that I, um, anticipated that the right equipment would say would save you from getting the virus and i believed it because i you know infection control is what i've been doing for the last 10 11 years now and i understand it and i and i've been through ebola and sars cov1 and uh h1n1 swine flu i've been through these different um pandemics so I have, it's not like out of the blue, I just kind of, oh, I'm not going to be afraid of COVID. No, it based upon knowledge, information, and of how to combat it. But other people 
do not have my knowledge, mm. right? That's my field. That's my expertise. But I, you know, there aren't, there are actually, there aren't even, even that many doctors with expertise in infection control. It's a very, very unique niche um, area. And um, now it's not, I mean, now everybody's become expert in it. They've had to, they've learned and they know it's, um, it's not like it's, you know, impossible to understand, but it just, you know, it's something I had an interest in and an interest in and learned about. So anyway, I never felt the panic that, but, but I was in patients' rooms. I was a, a consult. I saw every patient that came through the emergency room doing COVID interviews. So, and, and I made it a point to go into the rooms with the equipment that I deemed safe, right? Because I wanted people to know that I wasn't just, I wasn't going to put them in harm's way. That I wouldn't put myself in harm's way, would I? Intentionally, not really. So I, the, my recommendations I used, and I went into patients' rooms to prove to them. But despite that, there was a, lot, a huge amount of really terror that this is that they would get this disease. Because to me, you know, information is the antidote to fear when it's about physical you know, physical, real matters. I'm not saying that anxiety, if you carry anxiety, you know, is something that's just cured. No, it's not necessarily cured. It's helped. It can be incredibly controlled if you have the right mental health, you know, help and you, you, you know, it's, it's a lot of work, but it can be really helped. But if you have fear about something, you know, the great, the great majority of fear is about not understanding, right? not knowing, not feeling like you have any control, right? People need and want to have a sense of control over their lives and especially over their own safety and the safety of their family. So these docs and nurses and techs and, lab, you know, pharmacists and lab, you know, all are going home to their families, right? So they weren't just afraid for themselves. They were afraid to bring the disease home to their families. And they were terrified. So a, a large portion of what I had to do was, again, showing by example, you can go in a room. If you wear the equipment, as I'm telling you, it will keep you safe. And the proof is in the pudding. A year later, we have not lost anybody to COVID. We have not had COVID go from patient to staff or staff to patients. There's been nothing. But believe me, it was an incredible amount of hard work. And so many people were terrified. For me, for me, the most overwhelming thing was just how much I had to do in such a short amount of time to get it done. But I work with wonderful people. And I've been at the same hospital for 25 years now. So I have a, a, a great rapport people trust me. And so they listen and follow. If they don't follow my recommendations, right? The, the greatest recommendation in the world is meaningless and useless when people don't follow them. So a big part of leadership is just how do you get what you know is safe done? And by doing that, you take down the fear, you take down the anxiety, you, you know, and you see that 
you give people a clear way forward to be safe. So, um, yeah, but it, it, it's been, it's, it, it's taken a huge toll out of many people who were terrified for many months until finally they began to look around them. You know, that something would happen, a patient, maybe some, you know, a, someone would take a mask off or whatever and everybody would be like, oh my God, oh my God, you know, and then, but then no one would, not taking a mask off, that's not uh, a good analogy, but um, some event might happen and everybody would be terrified. And then, you know, I'd be able to step back and say, did anyone get COVID? And the answer would be no. <laughs> So, you know, that's what brings anxiety, you know, kind of like proof is in the pudding, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you can talk about it, but people need to see that it's safe in order to have that anxiety and fear brought back down. So, but it's been, a, it's taken a huge toll out of, out of many, many people. Yeah. 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 I can't even, I can't even imagine, you know, and you, and you mentioned, um, like being informed, you know, knowledge is important. Um, for me, someone who doesn't work at a hospital or in the medical field and just kind of consuming the information that was presented to us, um, I found it best to have a balance, right? Because I want to consume the information to stay up to date, to know what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's safe. But also it does create a little bit of uh, overwhelm and uncertainty, kind of yes. knowing how bad things are. And so you kind of have to, as a regular person, just an average human, kind of figure out what that balance is to stay informed and also kind of be able to try to have some sort of normalcy or uh, be able to live your life the best you can in the safest way possible. So that was for me. Um, but I, I mean, I imagine you guys have to, you have, obviously you do have to stay up to date on literally everything the moment it happens. Yes. Yes, um, exactly right, Aaron. And, and you're absolutely right. People. So there are two things I, I would say, too. What is your source of information? Because if you're just relying on people sending you stuff through Facebook that's inflammatory or whatever, it's really and that's your only source of information. You're in a lot of trouble because there's so much misinformation out there. And I, I really, and so, and you do have to find a balance between, you're absolutely right about trying to stay informed and not being so consumed by it that, you know, that you're overwhelmed. Absolutely. You know, again, that's my job. <laughs> I'm the one who has to do that, not you. <laughs> so leave it to me, <laughs> but you're right. And, but I will, I just have to add that caveat about so, so much information. And even now with the vaccine, I, you know, I've heard such like ridiculous things, you know, oh, the vaccine has a microchip that Bill Gates put in it, you know, really, come on, people. And, and one, one person said to me, well, it's in the Bible. I was like, the Bible? Were there microchips when the Bible was written? <laughs> but, you know, this is, this is not using critical thinking skills, right? You know, and I'm sure that person, I'm not trying to be disparaging, you know, this person hears something like that and they're already in a frame of mind of, oh, I believe this, I believe that, I believe whatever. It's hard. This is life and death here, man. (laughs) This isn't like a theoretical whatever. This is real. And, And so I would hope that people could try to use critical thinking skills and read reliable sources of information about a scientific problem 
not other stuff that's out there in the ether sphere, you know, denying its existence and saying it's nothing and all that stuff. It's you, you can do that, but it's at your own peril. So, you know, I don't like to see people in peril. <laughs> I like to see people healthy. <laughs> so get your vaccine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the perfect uh, segue into, into what's happening now. Um, and so since the vaccine came out, do you feel, um, cause I always say, yeah, I, that's, uh, that's a big personality trait of mine. I think it's like, it's like hope and, and seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, even though how bad things can get, cause things get pretty bad and they, and they do for everyone, no matter what, where you are, like things always go wrong and there's always shit. Um, but I always see that there's light at the end of the tunnel and you know, is that what, is that what you felt, you know, when yes. the vaccine came out? Oh my God. Well, first of all, I knew that the vaccines were being developed as of, um, I think January 27th or so. That's the date that the, um, the, the, the scientists in Wuhan, uh, discovered or and and figured out the genome the whole genome the whole all the dna it's rna <laughs> parts of this virus and uh published it for the world right so as soon as they did that as soon as they put it on the internet every vaccine company in the world who had the ability to do it started focusing their laser focus on creating these vaccines so they, you know, they got immediately to work. And so from the beginning, I knew that vaccines were in development. And, and this is the thing. And people keep saying, oh, the vaccine, it's so new. Oh, I don't want to take it. It's really new. It's so new. It's not new. It actually isn't new. The, the technology for this vaccine, for the Pfizer and, and uh, Moderna's, was create was discovered in 1990. Is that really new? No, it's not. Sorry, it was it was discovered by a Hungarian woman researcher, and then she paired with a guy from the University of Pennsylvania. They worked together. For, she was on her own trying to sell this idea. Listen, I I created messenger RNA. I created, and everybody was telling, ah, it's no good. It's no good. It won't work. It won't work. So anyway, she was dissed for ten years, and then she finally paired up with a guy from the University of Pennsylvania. They got together. They they figured out a crucial thing about how to make it better. And uh, I won't go into the science. And basically, um, they started creating vaccines. Now we have an Ebola vaccine. I bet people don't even know that. But it also is a similar kind of vaccine to these vaccines that was created three years ago, okay? So the whole concept of, it's so new, it's so new. Let me also explain about new. Why do vaccines take so long? They did it so fast. They did, it can't be safe, it's too fast. Well, guess what? This is a unique situation where, why do vaccines take so long? First, you have to get people to sign up for them, okay? And, you know, people are like, oh, why should I sign up for a new vaccine? Ah, that's taking a chance. I'm not going to do that. It might hurt me. Blah, blah, blah. This vaccine, they said, can we have volunteers? And thousands of hands went up. Take me, take me, take me. They got 40,000 people like that to say, 
give it to me, give it to me right now. That usually takes years to enroll enough people, right? Because to do things and figure out statistical significance, you need enough people. It doesn't, there's no statistical significance or nothing you can get out of, you know, 10, 20, 30 people. What does that mean? That's nothing. You're looking at humankind. It's nothing, right? But when you get tens of thousands of people, now you do it. Now you got something. You got some real data here. So first, they got a ton of people to vet to, to volunteer in a record amount of time. Secondly, how do you know a vaccine works? Well, oh, well, before we get to that, first thing that you have to do is look at safety. So they immediately, when they give you that vaccine, they follow you. They do blood tests. They figure, are you safe? Are you okay? They saw that it was not, that it was that it was no one was having any horrible effects. Okay, there are allergic effects effects which I can talk to separately, but that's different. So we're talking about harm caused by the vaccine. So they didn't see any safety issues. And then, how do you know that a vaccine works? Well, the only way you know is if you give the vaccine to half the people get the vaccine and half the people don't get the vaccine, right? You give placebo, they give fake, you know, sterile water instead into one arm and they give the real vaccine into another arm. And then they follow those people 50-50 over time. Well, how do you know it works? You only know if the vaccine works if those people who've been vaccinated or not are exposed to the disease. Well, in general, that can take years. But in this case, we have millions and millions of people that have COVID, right? So here we have the, the, the diseases all around us. So when we put those, take that group of people and half get vaccine and half don't, they get placebo and they get exposed. And then you can then you see immediately what's the effects. Because you know. 30% of the people with placebo got severe COVID. Some of them got, was, were hospitalized and died. People who got vaccinated, nobody got hospitalized. Nobody died from COVID. So right there, you have a huge amount of information in a very short amount of time because you have so much disease in the community. So these are the, and, and then in the United States, we have an incredibly robust, system of, of, of evaluating safety and efficacy, okay? So, so what the CDC does is it gets this huge group of real experts in each of their fields, in each part of whether it's immunology and it's vaccinology and it's pediatrics and internal medicine and all different fields, experts in fields, they put them all together and they put the whole thing on television. If people don't believe that there's transparency, you can watch, and I watched for a number of hours that I could fit in, the entire discussion of the safety of these vaccines. It's all on television. So the point is, they look at all the data and they're not working for vaccine companies. They're not making money from it, which is another thing I've heard. Well, the vaccine, this is just to make money. Like, no, it's not people. It's to save a life. Okay. And the vaccines, they're, they're not, nobody pays for them at all. Right. They're the governments pay for them. 
a nobody, meaning the regular public. No, you don't have to pay to get your vaccine. It's free because the government has paid for it. And why is the government paying for it? With your tax dollars. Because the government wants more of your tax dollars. They want you to be alive to pay them tax dollars. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you can't run an economy if half your people are, or not half, but I mean, a, a good percentage of your people are ill and, and, the, and, and the communities are devastated. So bottom line, even though it was record time, it was not record numbers that were used to, you know, they didn't skimp on safety or any kind of issue. These are really safe vaccines that are incredibly effective. Yes. So if you're listening to this and you haven't signed up to get your vaccine, go do that now. <laughs> please. Um, Pretty please. When, did, when did you get your, when did you get your vaccine? I got it on December 18th at 5.30 PM. Wow. Cool. Um, my, my father is fully vaccinated. Yay. Um, yeah, my, my, first. my second one, I got three weeks later, but yeah. And mom, is she vaccinated too? Uh, she has her first shot tomorrow and I have my first shot tomorrow as well. Yes. Um, so by the time this, are. by the time this episode comes out, I'm sure both mom and I will have our second shot and Fantastic. we'll be ready, be ready to go. So great. Remember it's two weeks after your second shot that you have maximum immune response. Yeah. That's when um, you're fully protected. Two weeks after your second shot. Or if you happen to get the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, it would be two weeks after that one shot because it's only a one-shot vaccine. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. I, I wanted to get it definitely before because I'm going to Phoenix uh, to see a friend of mine, but I'm also going to see Grandma Huguette. Um, oh, you better be vaccinated, boy. Yeah, she's vaccinated, so I wanted to make sure I was yeah. as well. Um, but uh, That's but great. cool. Yeah. She'll be so happy. Yeah, she. <laughs> yeah, she's funny. Uh, yeah, she already called my dad a bunch of times to ask because she forgot what date I was coming. She thought it was Passover, and he was like, "No, it's not Passover." It's like, anyways, anyways, enough of uh, enough of that. But um, um, yeah. Uh, any anything else you'd like to add to the to why people should get vaccinated, or anything else just in general you'd like to? Talk um, yeah, I just actually, one final thing about the vaccine, I will say that some people can have an allergic reaction to the vaccines. Um, it's rare, uh, but if and when it happens, there's treatment for it. So nobody has to be worried about that. You do have to be worried if you get COVID because you don't know what's gonna happen to you. Could be nothing, could be something really horrible, but Side effects from the vaccine, yeah, there are some, not for everybody. A lot of people have like nothing when they get their vaccines and other people can have a lot of reactions, a lot of symptoms, you know, like sore muscle and then even fever, some muscle aches, you know, chills, weakness, like a flu kind of thing. But remember something, if you think those symptoms are bad, think about you're just getting a teeny piece of this virus, a little piece of it. The spike protein is what goes in the vaccine, the, the, DNA, the um, RNA to make that spike protein. And you, your body makes antibodies to it, right? And you're, you feel the side effects you get are, is your body responding to the vaccine, which is a good thing. And if you're, you think the side, those side effects are bad, I'm not going to, I can't, I can tell you that if you were to get real COVID, your side effects would be even 
far worse. And I don't think you want to go there. So, um, and, and you just have to think to yourself, you know, thank God it's from the vaccine and it's not from the virus. So I just want to, you know, get that point, make that point because I, I've heard a lot of people say, well, I don't want the side effects. Well, it's the lesser of two really, it's the much lesser of two big evils. No, of one big evil, <laughs> which is the virus itself, not the vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all that. You're obviously know what you're talking about. Super brilliant. So nice to talk to you. Oh, thanks. Um, I'm just educated. That's all. <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna steal this last question that I'm gonna ask you from one of my favorite podcasters. Um, so this is not just specifically as uh, your work with COVID or as an infection specialist, but this is more like as a mom, um, you know, uh, as a person, as a human, as a wife. Um, if you were gonna make a billboard, a billboard is seen by a million people or even more. What would you what would you put on that billboard? A short sentence that you would just feel like a lot of people need to see and hear and feel. I would say there is hope because we have a vaccine. I would say stay safe and never stop spreading love and expressing love to the people around you. Beautiful. Because love is the answer to every problem. I, uh, I couldn't agree more with that. Love is the answer. Um, wow, thank you um, for this. It's been thank great. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very honored to be on this podcast. You're doing amazing work. Oh, so proud of you. I can't tell you. I, I mean, this, this, this discussion was about COVID, but mental health is right up there with it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so your work is just as important as mine. And I hope that you are safe and stay safe and, um, stay happy and loved because you are loved. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, this is an amazing episode. Um, please, if you like this episode, um, please share it with a friend. Rate us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, subscribe on YouTube. Keep watching. Um, get your vaccines. Um, be kind to each other. And uh, much love. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Bye-bye. Bye, Aaron.